Hello, 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 and welcome to the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio, coming to you just in a nick of time. In this edition of the Fantasy Friday episode, we welcome Rotograph Fantasy Mavens, Eno Saris, and Zach Sanders to the pod. In this particular episode, we start off by looking at a study by Harry Pavlidis that recently appeared at Hardball Times. In said study, Harry Pavlidis looked at pitch-type baselines. So, for example, you take a fastball, what is the ground ball rate of the fastball, what is the average whiff rate of the fastball, etc., etc. We take this idea and run with it, talk about pitchers with new pitch mixes, or pitching mixes, and suggest that when a pitcher adds a new pitch, he may in fact be a new pitcher. Additionally, we move on and look at Derek Holland and a suddenly imposing Texas Rangers rotation. And finally, each member of the pod considers a trade proposal he has either sent away or received. One last note, the listener might notice that occasionally Eno Saris's audio is compromised. While you might think this is merely a glitch in the recording, in fact, what it reveals is that Eno Saris is part robot. Sort of shocking discovery, and more on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. No, in fact, it is not a lie. It is the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. We are situated... We, crumbs! We are situated... Uh, we are situated at the round table, the uh, the official round table of Fangraphs Audio. And uh, besides me, uh, at this table, we have joining us from America's heartland is, um, is, a, is a gentleman named Eno Saris. Eno, how are you? I'm great in uh, in fabulous Cedar Rapids. Yeah, you know, you know, why are you in Cedar Rapids again? Uh, torture known as press check, where you you actually go into a printing press and wake up every three hours to make sure the colors look correct. Are you a free? Are you a freelance press checker? No, that's it's my day job. It's your day job, right? Uh, I thought your day, day job was the Twitters because you. Shh, don't tell anyone. Okay. Uh, right. Now, uh, additionally, uh, joining us at the round table is uh, a guy who's out here on the West Coast with me. He's up in, uh, I don't know, somewhere out, some in the outskirts of Seattle. And uh, he's doing what he does best, just writing about fantasy baseball. He is Zach Sanders. Zach, how you doing? Pretty good, Carson. How about yourself? Good. Zach, do you have a, do you have a day job or, you just, or do you loaf and invite your soul? Let's go with that one, yeah. You do that, all right. Little Walt Whitman uh, has been brought to the pod. Just FYI. All right, you guys are the uh, you're you're from Rotographs. You're fantasy experts, no doubt about it. And you have something to say. Um, now I've sort of outsourced the uh, thinking to you guys this week, and I and I'm going to continue to do that because I think it's the smartest way to run the pod. Uh, so what I would like to do is hit is start by handing things over to Eno. Eno, I can introduce uh, what you have to offer us by saying it has to do with pitching. And I think it has to do with the pitches uh, that pitchers throw and maybe a change in repertoire. Please do tell us more. Well, I've, I've been noticing recently that the maybe the easiest way for a, a pitcher to reinvent themselves or to advance and to become a better pitcher is to change their pitching mix. And uh, I guess pitch FX is in its infancy, and you, you might notice that, um, you know, Fastballs, uh, four-seam and two-seam fastballs have seemingly um, there's more and more uh, sinkers every year, and, and fewer and fewer four-seam fastballs. And 
you might look around baseball and, and, and think that you found something, but it may only be the 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 classification system. And, and there's a, there's a bit of a, a mix up there between BIS uh, Baseball Info, Info Solutions on the front page and uh, MLBAM, which uh, is the MLB classifications. They're a little different from each other, so. You know, not every, I kind of lump together four seams and two seams in my analysis like this because over three or four years, um, two seamers haven't been totally teased out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I was reading, uh, um, Harry Pavlidis did a great piece on the Hardball Times. It was just sort of a baseline and, and I thought it was great. I was looking through it. It had whiff rates, round ball rates, all sort of, sort of baseline stats for each pitch type. And I was looking at that, and some of the things were kind of really intuitive. Uh, somebody might say obvious, but it's not really obvious, but things like split fingers get ground balls. And it's just great to have someone that, that did the, the legwork for me uh, and, and, and sort of found a number that's like, this is, this is how many ground balls the average sinker gets, and this is how many ground balls the average split finger gets, and this is how many strikeouts, how many whiffs you know, this, this pitch gets, and... I was looking at that, and the four-seam fastball is actually a really average pitch. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but it, it, it gets, you know, 45% ground balls. It gets 8% whiffs or whatever. These are all really average numbers, and it's the secondary pitches that are much more exciting to me. So I was looking at some pitches, uh, pitchers, and one in particular you might like, Colby Lewis. Oh, I've heard of him. Yeah. But you know, you might have noticed that you I think you've probably written about this about his increased use of the slider, right? Yeah, well, and not just uh and from my experience, it's not just a slider. It, it, I've been led to believe he throws sort of a whole bunch of maybe three different pitches along the kind of slider uh you know, like the cur- the curveball slider cutter spectrum, I guess is what you might say. Yeah, and Harry himself said that, you know, he had some difficulty teasing some of these out, but yeah, I think in the slider situation, you can see that he's he's got 30% this year. And uh, way back in 2007, it was 12%. So he went to Japan and, you know, learned that his slider was his best pitch. But, you know, if you actually look at our pitch type values, our linear weights stuff, you can see even back in 2007 that um, linear weights said that the slider was his best pitch. Well, yeah, so what's the thing? So what's the exciting thing uh, from a fantasy perspective here? You know, I guess that's, I mean, that's let's talk brass tacks here. Got your 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 Zips ROS and it says that Colby Lewis is gonna have a 4.4 ERA basically and a 1.3 WHIP and that uh, you know that you shouldn't really count on this continuing but you know every year we see pitchers that do better than we thought they would and, and better their projections we joke about things like well you know the projection systems have a hard time with breakout pitchers and young pitchers that break out really you know, break the projection systems and stuff like that. But what really, I think what's really happening is they're a new pitcher. They're, they're not the same old pitcher. They have a new pitching mix. They are using their slider 30% when they used to use it 7%. They are, like, fundamentally different. And why, if, if you've got a pitch like the split finger, so Mike Pelfrey, he now has a split finger, and this, he throws that 16% of the time. If your projections are based on him not throwing the split finger ever, and now he has a, uh, a pitch that he throws 16% of the time that gets ground balls open of the time, that's, that means something. That's going to change the way you should think about that pitcher. Yeah. So it's almost like you've got a new pitcher. Yeah, that's well, that's an interesting thought. I, I like that idea, the fact that, 
Um, and, and of course, I think the guys who are most involved with creating the projection systems would probably be among the most uh, ready to admit that this is a possibility. You know, it's uh, maybe some of the the people for whom the the projection system reads a little bit more um, uh, definite, definitely, right? That uh, they say, oh, that's impossible. This is who this pitcher is. But I think, yeah, I think you talked to Sean Smith. You talked to Dan Zimborski. Um, and other guys who are involved in that particular game, they would say, yeah, this is just, uh, you know, this is a projection based on the, who the guy has been. Uh, Zach, do you, have you, are there any pitchers you can think of off the top of your head who have become different guys? Well, one of the big guys I've seen this year, and this is according to the BIS data, is Jose Valverde. Uh, in 2009, threw a 27% splitters and held a 40% ground ball rate, and that's been, ground ball rate's been fairly consistent throughout the career from what I've noticed. And then, this year, he's throwing 43% splitters, and he's getting ground ball at 73% of the time, and then that's a huge difference. But the big question is, like we are talking about BIS versus NLB Advanced Media, because NLB Advanced Media claims all he's thrown this year are four-seam fastballs, but when looking at a pitch FX graph, you can see that, well, there's other clusters besides that four-seam fastball, and so it's deciding on your data source and moving from there. And Valverde is one of those guys where you got to pick and choose, and I'm gonna, for this case, you'd have to go with the BIS data. I actually trust BIS a little bit better because I've done some work on Amazing Avenue and uh, and God bless bless Buckner before that about Mike Pelfrey, and uh, I found that um, you know they, he calls it a split finger, um, it's a split change, and BIS calls it a split finger, and MLB calls it a changeup. So I would trust. I, I tend to trust uh, BIS a little bit more. Right, and I think that uh, well, a couple things that reminds me of the pitch that Brandon League started throwing a lot last year, right? Uh, which I think was the most uh, whiffed upon pitch in the um, in the majors, and so that's one thing to consider. The other thing is I think it's just a it's just an instance of the fact you know it's a, it's proof of the fact that you have to triangulate with your with your sources. You know, um, I think that anyone who approaches uh, you know, whether it's in a fantasy circumstance or whether it's just, uh, you know, for their own interest or they're following their own team, it, you're not going to be able to get the answers with one source. And so I think that if you, you know, if you triangulate with your sources and you use use your brain, you'll probably be able to get to the bottom of it, just like Eno's mentioning here, right? I mean, if you have Jose Valverde himself saying that he's throwing a split change and uh, that's the pitch he's throwing, then... There's no reason to be slavish to the to the uh, game day data, you know, and I, and I think that that's a good lesson. Uh, speaking of lessons, there's a pitcher for the Texas Rangers who can teach us one, and his name is not Colby Lewis actually. It's Derek Holland, and the lesson he teaches us is about luck um, and how it can be bad sometimes. Uh, Holland, uh, just as we're speaking here, he's made a season debut after just crushing it in. Um, uh, the minors at AAA Oklahoma City. Uh, the final line versus for him versus the Oakland A's was six innings pitched, five hits, a single walk, and seven Ks, zero runs allowed. And he was filling in for Matt Harrison, I believe, who's on the DL. And that leaves Texas's rotation right now at, uh, you know, put him in whatever order you want. Uh, Rich Harden, Colby Lewis, C.J. Wilson, Scott Feldman, and Derek Holland. And quite frankly, of those, probably the weakest pitcher is Scott Feldman. I mean, if you look at the numbers, he's probably their number five starter. And he was the ace of the staff last year. 
I think that's a pretty good rotation. I'm pretty excited about it. Derek Holland is a pitcher who I'm really excited about. He had a pitch. Uh, he sorry. He had an ERA in the sixes last year, uh, the low sixes, where while his xFIP was uh, somewhere in the mid to low fours. I'm thinking. Um, you know, I was reading an article from a from a Texas or you know a Dallas area uh, paper today in which he was saying that he went down and he improved his off-speed stuff. That be you know whether that's the case or not. For Holland, the situation might be one uh, that's similar to the one that Nolan Reimold's going through right now, where he, he has a deflated uh, batting average on ball and play, uh, and yet he's being perceived. Well, he's of course just been demoted to AAA. He's perceived as uh, as uh, performing poorly when in fact he's just a victim of bad luck. Um, you know, Holland last year with that ERA in the sixes, uh, you know, just really got unlucky with uh, while he had that. Uh, XFIP somewhere in the fours, uh, and we have to wonder if now, you know, with his performance at AAA, um, relative to, um, you know, where, where he was, where he's playing quite well, um, and now with a, an excellent start, you know, his, for his season debut, we have to say, you know, is he just a good pitcher? I think the answer to that is yes. And the interesting thing now, where it leaves the Texas Rangers, is they have a starting five. Uh, you can order them however you want. Uh, Rich Harden, C.J. Wilson, Colby Lewis, Scott Feldman, and Derek Holland. Uh, Scott Feldman was the the uh, nominal ace of the staff last year. He's, I'm going to say he's probably the fifth best pitcher on the team this year. I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about about Derek Derek Holland and how excited you are about him or how excited you aren't about him. Uh, you know, let's start with you. I'm interested in two things. One, Derek Holland. Uh, how you know where where do you put him? And second. If you were to, if you were pressed, how would you line the five starters for Texas right now? How would you line them up one through five? Well, that's a, that's a great question. Um, Derek doesn't have blow you away speed, uh, but he's a lefty. Um, I, I don't think he's a crafty lefty with the capital C, capital L. L. Um, and I think that he has stuff. I like him a lot. There's the pedigree. The, the scouts liked him on the way up. I think he will have his adjustment issues still this year, but he's he's coming off a tear in AAA. I would say, gosh, it's that is a really hard one to do, and I can't believe you didn't start with Lewis first. Um, <laughs> I, I would probably go Harden, Lewis, uh, Holland. Um, I mean, I, I yeah, Holland, Wilson. Um, Feldman. Wow. So you like Holland more than Wilson, even? I think so. The one thing is Wilson has some luck going for him right now. We don't know how that's going to regress. Um, and we also, he's, he's, he's bunching up on, he's coming up on his, um, innings, um, his innings limit. I mean, not innings limit, but, you know, his highest, his innings, his career high in innings. Mm -hmm. We don't know how that's going to work out. He might hit the DL for a while. Um, so there's, in a, in a way, He's almost more of an unknown than Holland. At least we know that Holland can pitch deep into a season uh, or can pitch over 100 innings. We know that. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, and, and, and of course, C.J. Wilson, if we're talking different pitchers, uh, you know, different guys. with It's the same guy, different repertoire. Uh, C.J. Wilson is a, sort of an interesting uh, consideration, um, not only for the fact that I think he added some uh, new pitches last year, but also... Uh, what a uh, different load could do to a pitcher and how that might change him as well. 
Zach, what do you if you had to go one through five? Well, and of course I want to say when I was naming those pitchers, that's not my one through five. I, I'd be happy to give that in a second. I'm interested what Zach says, but yes, Colby Lewis is my number one. He's the number one in my heart. Uh, he's my Cy Young of my life. Uh, Zach Sanders, uh, what do you think? One through five, that, that Texas staff. I'd probably, I think the order Eno gave is pretty much accurate. I think. I think that's right on what I'd say. You would. You're you're not going to uh, bump Colby. You you guys still like Harden, huh? He's had some problems early on, but what is it? The Zach for you is it the upside with the strikeouts? Is that too valuable? Yeah, and the, he's pitched well in the past, and we don't have that. Sorry to say, we don't have that with Colby Lewis right now, and so we have to go with what we have. Yeah. So I'm going to send you an invitation to cram it. Uh, you know, <laughs> what do you think? Well, well, one thing that one thing that I that I actually was thinking about when you were talking about. Um, about Holland is, and, and I, I was thinking about Ionetta and Reimold, and we were, we were kind of thinking about, you know, what if we could tell these players, look, you know, don't be so down on yourself, you know, don't have these, this crisis of, of confidence, uh, your BABIP is though, you're, you're doing this, you're doing this, this is gonna regress, you're gonna be fine, just go out there and do it. I don't know, maybe the people are telling them that and it's not working, maybe, the law of luck actually is coaxed along by a little trip to AAA. You know, do they have to go down there, or do teams are teams actually best served resource-wise if they have their crappy time mm-hmm. down in AAA and and sort of get back on the on the lucky train and then come up? Um, it's sort of an interesting idea. I, I don't know. Maybe they're doing it right. Maybe they're doing it the correct way. Maybe they should go down to AAA and. And regress or figure something out. I mean, they they do seem to know probably more than I know. Well, not about uh, book publishing, children's book publishing in particular. I'm sure. With regard to baseball, I think I think that I like your instinct at least, which is to give the baseball team the benefit of the doubt, especially when you're dealing with uh, personalities and personnel issues like that. Um, because we're not hanging out with Chris Iannetta, we're not hanging out with with Nolan Reimold. You know, it could it could cause that, but I I do agree with you uh, with regard to the batting average on ball and play type thing. Like with Khalil Green last last year uh, when he was playing with St. Louis, that he got sent down to AAA. Of course, Khalil Green had uh, some other issues, you know, anxiety related. But you you do wonder in that situation um, because his his uh, ball and play average was low, um, and you know if it had improved, he would have been a league average shortstop almost. It's a curious situation where you where you feel like you want to take a guy aside and say, "Hey, you're doing everything right. It's just bad luck. Um, it's bad luck that's uh, that's plaguing you right now." Um, well, what happens? What happens when you have a player that's playing above their level? Then do you have to take them aside and tell them that, "Oh, this is just lucky. You're really not that good." No, you shouldn't say that. <laughs> you, shouldn't, you wouldn't say it like that, but you just. Uh, hey, Austin Jackson, you're you're actually terrible. <laughs> no, I would. Watch. I don't think you'd ever say that. But I think that you would say, you you would remind the guy to stay inside himself, right? I think that maybe some um, some success could force a guy to to think of himself differently, right? Some some weird success, um, some undue success could this is, what? This is also what managers do, right? I mean, I think that's probably you know Jim Fergosi probably saying, look, Austin. You're striking out a lot. You're doing really well, son. But well, Jim Fergosi might know. be telling him that. I I Me hope Jim Leyland is. I hope Jim Leyland is telling him too. Um, My it, bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe Jim Fergosi. How can I mix those two Jim up? Jim Belushi, hopefully. 
is uh is is has a good word for him too. Um, we can only hope. You know, we did a thing uh, recently on the pod that I liked a lot, which was to discuss some trades that we've either been offered, that we have offered, we've considered any sort of player personnel decision in the fantasy realm that we've come across. I like to see uh, what's going on uh, with these sorts of things. I think they provide a nice baseline, um, you know, a nice sort of starting point for our listeners. So I'm interested to see if you guys have come across anything recently. Zach, uh, I think you have one. It's not a trade. It's a. It is a personnel decision, though. You are worried about Elcides Escobar. What's what's going on there? Yeah, I drafted Elcides coming into the year, hoping I'd get a shortstop for the future. Since it's a keeper league, I could just hold on to him. I'd be. I could ride the wave. I was thinking maybe 30 steals, decent batting average, but he hasn't stolen a base at all this year. He's batting eighth in the lineup, and they're just not letting him run. Uh, he's hitting two. So you think maybe he gets some, at least some empty batting average from him? I'm not getting that. He's hitting 224 with a, only a 250 Babbitt, but it's not going to rise that much. I mean, he's swinging less. He's making contact at a higher rate, but so what are we going to do? Um, my question, I'd like to get some advice from you two, is I don't know if I'm going to be able to protect him anyway after the year. So thinking only, I guess, for this year and maybe a little bit beyond is, would you rather have Alcides Escobar or Starlin Castro? I have Alcides Escobar on like three teams. And uh, I'm having the same trouble keeping him. I've dropped him on most of my redraft teams. Um, I'd say that the, the 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 tool that that stands out the most among those two players is still Alcides' speed. And all it takes is a couple good games and a trip out of that eighth spot, and we could still see 30 steals out of him. I I still believe that. I might be crazy. Uh, we'll see what happens at the end of the year. He has great contact skills, and the tool that stands out between those two guys is his speed, I think. You know, when at the beginning of the year, and uh, actually for the for the um, Fangraph's second opinion, I was tasked with writing most of the player uh, capsules for the Brewers. I, I, quite frankly, did I saw hardly any difference between Carlos Gomez and Alcides Escobar. Um, you know, and... For some reason, Ken Maka saw fit to bat Carlos Gomez second and Alcides Escobar eighth. Um, I mean, if Escobar is if he's not producing, regardless of the luck or not, he's they're probably not going to get moved to the number two slot. But the fact that Gomez is there right now tells me that you know uh, he Escobar might be a hot streak away from that. You know, with if it uh, coincides with a Gomez uh, cold streak, which is you know a distinct possibility. Starlin Castro, if you, you say it's a keeper league, would you? How long would you be able to keep uh, Starlin Castro, provided that you picked him up right now? Um, it would be two years after this year. Oh, so you get sort of like a rookie contract, uh, or you get like a reserve, and he's available uh, on the. Re- I mean, yeah, I think Castro is more exciting for that reason. Um, I think he's pretty exciting, and if if they've called him up now, and if he performs uh, even semi decently. I think his lock on the job is pretty strong. And with Lou Pinella uh, at the helm, you don't know where he's going to bat. You know, Giovanni Soto's been batting eighth all season. Maybe we'll see Sterling Castro batting in the cleanup spot. I think that, uh, <laughs> you know, reason is... Well, I, I, I'd just say that I don't really believe in his power. I mean, he didn't really have it before this year. Um, but, you know what? They're both kind of exciting. Why not take the guy who's doing something right now? Yeah. You know, I... I'm with I'm with uh, I'm I'm convinced. (laughs) 
Wow, if that's all it took. Uh, I no, I mean it's 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 it's. I think it's sort of six of one and a half dozen the other. I mean they're both exciting young players with flaws. I think they both have flaws, and why not take the one that might get you something now? Yeah, just don't pick up Tommy uh, Manzella. That's the only advice <laughs> I have for you. No, never. Yeah. Uh, you know, what do you have for transaction questions? Well, I, I just pulled a trade yesterday that I was really proud of uh, for about five seconds. Um, I traded. I, I'm in a league that has contracts um, and 30-man minor league rosters. Um, and <laughs> yeah, and and I and I, I went into it with uh, I guess some guys from around the tweets, um, uh, scouting the Sal and uh, the cooler guy are in this league with me. Um, and uh, they, everyone just holds on to their prospects. Um, they get a, a, a nice uh, three-year, one-dollar rookie contract off of them, and then they get extensions. And so it's trying to sort of be like real life. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I just had to totally blow up the whole roster. And um, so I just traded uh, a nineteen-dollar Carlos Beltran uh, for Nolan Reimold, uh who's still a minor leaguer. I, and I did that right before the news came through that uh, Carlos Beltran amazingly is jogging, and that Reimold is is in AAA. Right. So that that was sort of I thought there was a moment where I was like, oh man, what have I done? That was so stupid. If I'd waited another day, I probably I could have done better. But but could I have? And I, is Beltran going to run? Is he going to steal? And if he doesn't steal, is he a two eighty twenty homer hitter? And if he doesn't play center field, you know. I don't know. I, I feel like I still did okay, and I, I kind of like Reimold still. So we'll see what happens. Okay. Well, um, yeah, that's. I mean, that's interesting. It, it, you know, if Reimold is still counts as a minor leaguer, and you can roster him as such in that league, then I think that that's still an interesting thing you've got there. Um, you know, it's the whole situation has gotten really murky in Baltimore. It seemed you know at the beginning of the season they had an outfield glut with uh, Reimold and PA kind of vying for the same position. Now they have neither of them. I think, I mean, who else are they running out there right now besides Luis Mon- Montana? Corey Patterson. Corey Patterson. Right, yeah. So Corey Patterson. I cannot believe it. So that's an interesting situation they have going on there. I don't know. I, I Reimold, from what he demonstrated last year, um, obviously has some offensive chops. If he maintains an offensive, uh, or sorry, an outfield uh, Position eligibility, and he's not reduced to uh, DH duties. You know, um, then then I think he's, the one, he's a curious player. The one thing I will say is that it, he's older than I thought, and that because he's that is can he Dominican. No, no, not in that <laughs> way. <laughs> no, I just mean he's he's like twenty seven or twenty eight or something. Okay. Twenty seven maybe. So yeah, that, that can mean that his minor league stats were maybe a little bit less impressive. But huh. Sanders, you got an opinion on that? I. I think you got good value considering that I don't see Beltran doing much maybe for the rest of his career because I think those knees are going to be a, a chronic problem and he may not, he may see 15, 30 days in the DL every year and that could really hurt his value. And yeah, he probably won't be stealing just for the fact to protect those knees and try to do what he can. And so yeah, like you said, 280, uh, 20, 25 homers maybe is not the best value in the world. And you can get a cheap guy and Rymold and he is older than like I I didn't think he was that old either. I thought he was maybe 24. But if you can get him with a cheap contract like that instead of paying for Beltran and just trying to get some value while you can, it's not a bad trade. Yeah. Oh, thank you for making me feel better. I I heard microfracture and I ran the other way. Right. Well, don't run too far because I have a question right here to ask you. I'm in a league, uh, kind of a cool league, 
that allows uh, keepers. It allows you to keep players um, for free for the next year uh, under age 27, right? So um, we have a it's a redraft every year, but you can keep any players under the age of 27. So it's you know sort of get a guy uh, for free in his pre-peak years. Um, if you want to keep an older player, you can, but you you forfeit your first round draft pick, or you know starting with your first round draft pick. So say you want to keep Chase Utley, that's your first round draft pick. Say you want to keep Chase Utley and Alex Rodriguez, that's your first two uh, draft picks. Um, I just made a trade. Uh, I sent away uh, Brett Cecil and Bud Norris, right? And this was after Brett Cecil's. Uh, I think with complete game performance, right? Um, I sent away Brett Cecil and Bud Norris. I think that's an 80, uh, 86 and 85 for Justin Masterson, who I think the day I traded him was uh, third on the XFIP charts. Um, and he's also a 1985, so he's a guy that if I don't win, uh, I can still keep around for a couple of years. I'm interested just... Uh, I also acquired Justin Masterson in another league. I'm, I'm really excited about Justin Masterson. I know the platoon split still exists. But the XFIP is crazy, um, and I think that you know if he can keep lefties in check at all, he's so dominant with righties, um, and his K rate is still like 12K per nine. Uh, you know it's early in the season, but he has demonstrated an ability to repeat that. Um, how how bullish are you guys on Justin Masterson, and what would you what would you do to uh, to trade him? Would you would you trade away Brett Cecil and Bud Norris? And get Masterson in return, plus the roster spot that uh, you know that's it's also worth something. Sanders, Masterson? Question mark. I like Masterson. I think we talked about this last time Hewlett and I were on the pod, and that uh, I really do like what he's doing. I like the mix of pitches, the arm angle he throws at you. I'd like to see what he can do in longer time as a starter. Um, I don't know if I would have given up Cecil and Norris for him because I really do like Norris too. But since you do have that extra roster spot, you can finally you can probably find someone that makes the trade worthwhile. But I do like Masterson. I think he's going to have some success in the future. Okay. Uh, well, uh, not a ringing endorsement of the trade, but uh, but fair enough. Uh, Eno, what do you think? Um, I'm going to be unequivocal and say you won that trade. And uh, I think Masterson is easily the best of the of the group. Um, Cecil was a closer in college. Um, He's still finding himself. Well, you know, it's way too early to say what what you've got there, and not to sort of tie everything in a nice little bow. But you know, all that Masterson needs to do is find a new pitch for that platoon split, and you've got a new pitcher who will be an amazing new pitcher if he does that. Yeah. So if he starts tinkering with a cutter, or you know, he gets a change piece that just he just throws against one side of the plate. You know, that's that sort of thing. You'll be you'll be uh, riding high. Well, I am happy uh, you used the word change piece. I fully endorse uh, just uh, uh, you know submitting a, a pitch and then putting the word piece on the end. Um, let's try it right now. Uh, that that concludes the pod piece for the day. Uh, I'm not sure it works, but I said it anyway. Um, let's wrap let's wrap this up with a bow. Uh, and let's say goodbye to Eno Saris and Cedar Rapids. Thanks for joining us, Eno. Thank you. All right, and let's say goodbye to uh, Zach Sanders uh, up here in the Pacific Northwest. Thank you, Zach Sanders. Anytime, Carson. All right, okay, and thank you, America. I continue to be and will be uh, even after we stop recording Carson Sestouli. And this has been the Fantasy Friday edition of Fangraphs Audio. Fantasy Friday.